Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Exit Your Business Your Way podcast with Ross Brayman, guiding business owners to the exit they deserve. Ross is a financial advisor who knows that business owners work too hard on growing and caring for their businesses not to leave it on their terms. Each week he interviews a different experienced business owner, expert, and other professionals ready to teach you effective, satisfying business exit strategies that will let you exit your business your way. Don't wait until it's too late. Start thinking exit now. Here's your host, Ross Brannan. Welcome to Exit Your Business Your Way. I'm your host, Ross Brannan. My guest today is Kelly Finnell, CEO and President of Executive Financial Services. He's one of the nation's leading experts in employee stock ownership plans, or ESOPs. He's been doing it for 35 years, making his knowledge pretty invaluable when it comes to exiting your business. So this is one you're not going to want to miss. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ross. I appreciate it. Sure thing. So let's jump right in right here. ESOPs are something that many people may have heard of, but many people are somewhat ignorant about. Can you kind of, in simplistic terms, explain what an ESOP is? Yeah, the place to start, of course, is what the acronym ESOP stands for. It's amazing how many people assume that it stands for Employee Stock Option Plan, but it actually, as you indicated, stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and that's a difference with a distinction. An ESOP, with an ESOP, employees do not invest any of their own money in the plan. The plan is fully funded by the company with a huge tax subsidy from Uncle Sam. And so it gives a way for employees to have ownership in their company without having to invest or risk any of their own capital. Well, that sounds pretty exciting. And so how common are ESOPs and are, are they underutilized? Well, they're becoming more and more common. We have seen since 2020 a big explosion in the interest of ESOPs. I was sitting in my office on March 15th of 2020 and thought that it was the end of the world. You know, the president had just declared a national COVID emergency. And I was thinking that 2020 was probably going to look a lot like 2008 when the Great Recession started. I was completely wrong. Up until 2020, we had done on average about six ESOP transactions per year. In 20, we did 10 transactions. Last year, we did nine, and we're on pace this year to do uh, at least uh, 10 again. And so the reason for that primarily is driven by demographics. The baby boom generation, that group of people that was born between 46 and 64, is aging and are at the point where they're thinking about how to cash in on their life's work. And so the most common way to do that is to sell to a competitor or to private equity. And ESOP offers an alternative, an alternative that has benefits for the company, for the selling shareholder, and definitely for the company's employees. 
And so as more and more people, as more and more business owners and their advisors learn about these benefits of an ESOP, uh, and as the baby boom generation continues to age, we just think that this increase, this dramatic increase in ESOP activity that we've seen over the last three years is going to continue. Well, you see, in my experience, you see kind of two camps of people. One camp wants to sell out to the highest bidder. They want to get their money and they want to run. Obviously, that's typically a private equity sale. Then the other camp only wants to sell if it's going to benefit their employees as much as it's going to benefit them. They don't want to sell and then their employees be out of a job six months later. Do you see the same kind of demographics, if you will? Yes. Uh, We see people, sellers who are motivated by maximizing price while at the same time protecting their employees, the culture that they've built for their company, and protecting their communities. You know, a lot of times, if a strategic buyer comes along and buys the company, they're going to shut down the local facility and move all of those jobs somewhere else. So we see owners who are motivated by those considerations and at the same time want to get top dollar for their sale. And we've never seen a situation about 35% of our clients have gotten an offer from private equity before they've gone down the path of doing an ESOP. And in every single case, they were able to sell to an ESOP for more than the highest bid that they got from private equity. So So it's not as if the, the business owner has to give up anything to take care of those other concerns. You can do, you can have it all. That's a fantastic point right there. I was going to ask about that. So if you're selling to private equity at a seller's price, but you can get an even higher price selling to an ESOP, is the ESOP overpaying? No. And you're going to have, as part of the ESOP team, the purchaser is going to be an ESOP trustee. And that trustee is going to engage its own legal counsel and its own valuation advisor. At the end of the negotiation process, when the deal is about to close, the valuation firm is going to issue what's called a fairness opinion, which says that in their expert opinion, the ESOP trustee has not overpaid for the stock that it's purchased. So there is a big gap between what fair value is and what private equity generally is willing to pay. Private equity is representing the individuals who have invested in their private equity fund. And their primary goal is to provide a return for those investors. It's not to pay the highest price for the companies that they're buying. They are bottom feeders and they're trying to pay the lowest price possible. With an ESOP, you don't have that competing interest. You don't have investors who are trying to maximize a return on the money that they've invested in the companies that they purchase. You have the company financing the transaction. So you have to satisfy one interest rather than two. So why would everyone not sell to an ESOP? It sounds like it's a better scenario. Well, it can be. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. The reason a lot of people don't sell to an ESOP is that there's just not enough knowledge out there about what an ESOP is, how it works, and its benefits. Another reason that a company might not sell to an ESOP is an ESOP is a form of internal transition. And so you have to have within the company 
uh, a senior management team that can run the business once the seller is gone. So if you do a management buyout or an ESOP, you have to have a strong successor management team. And so if you don't have that, then selling to an ESOP's not an option. You need to sell to private equity. Another reason is that if you have a business owner who wants to take the money and run, someone who wants to get paid the maximum amount of cash at close, then an ESOP is not the best solution. With an ESOP, the owner is going to get paid a down payment that's funded by the bank loan, and then the rest of the sales price is going to be paid on an installment basis over a period of time. And so the owner might get 40% at close, but it might take another five years for him to get fully paid out. And so if you have a business owner who wants to stay involved in the company, an ESOP is a great solution. But if you have a business owner who wants to cash a check and never be seen again at the company, then an ESOP's not the right answer. That person needs to sell to private equity. That makes sense. So what are the demographics of a company that is a good candidate for an ESOP? Obviously, there's going to be a minimum size of a company. I mean, we're not going to, this is not a three-person company that's selling to an ESOP. Um, So what are the demographics of candidates for ESOPs? The owner of the company is probably age 55 to 80 is where most of our clients would fall in terms of age. Uh, most of our clients have at least 100 employees, although we've done ESOPs for companies as small as about 35 employees. Uh, very importantly, the company needs to have $2 million of adjusted EBITDA. So adjusted earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That is really a key consideration. ESOP transactions have lots of lawyers involved. And so there is a minimum expense to do an ESOP of $400,000. And so in order for the cost benefit ratio to work properly, you need to have a company that has about $2 million of earnings. So our clients have typically between 2 million and 25 million of adjusted EBITDA. And as I said, usually at least 100 employees. So a lot of people are going to hear that 400,000 number and say, oh my gosh, ESOPs are so expensive. Why would I ever do that? But you've mentioned to me before in previous conversations, when you sell a business, there is a transaction cost. It's You just don't necessarily cut a check for it. They just reduce it out of your proceeds at the closing table. So talk about, you know, the true cost of a transition versus ESOP. If you sell to private equity, you're almost certainly going to hire an investment banker. And so let's assume that you have a company that sells for $20 million. The investment banking fee is going to be at least $800,000 and probably well over a million dollars. And so you don't have that expense with an ESOP. So we've saved that 800 minimum cost immediately right off the table. And then you're going to have the same legal expenses and accounting expenses uh, that you would have with an ESOP as if you sold to private equity. So $400,000 is a lot of money, but by comparison to your alternative, 
ESOPs are a lot less expensive than a sale to private equity. Well, even if you're using just a business broker and you're charging yeah. 5% on a $10 million sale, that's 500 grand right there. Yeah. And in our example, we were talking about a $20 million sale. So that's a million bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the difference is you're cutting the check versus it right. just being deducted from your proceeds. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so a lot of times to make it less painful for the company, we'll have all of the fees paid out of the bank loan. And so the owner doesn't feel it as much as they would otherwise. Well, and that, that makes sense. So what industries do you see ESOPs tend to be popular in? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we see professional services industry. Our biggest industry niche is uh, engineering firms. We've done over a dozen transactions for engineering firms. Another key industry that we've done two transactions in over the last six months are advertising and public relations firms. Okay. Uh, we've developed a lot of expertise in that area. Architects, engineers, any type of professional service. Uh, we do have some manufacturing company clients, but that's becoming rarer and rarer. And so we're seeing companies where culture is the key to their success, being really good candidates, because if the business owner is realistic, no matter what the buyer tells them, if you sell to private equity, the company culture is going away. It might take a year maybe two, but that company culture is going to be destroyed. And that's going to be to the detriment of your employees and also to your customers. Yeah, it's interesting. I've seen that happen in, the, in, in I've had clients who've sold to private equity and it's definitely not always what's advertised. So, right. so you told me earlier, which I wasn't aware of, that ESOPs are actually part of ERISA, uh, which is the retirement plan legislation from the 70s that's had numerous tweaks and changes over the years. So talk a little bit about that and then talk about if you're an employee at an ESOP, what does your 401k look like afterwards? So ESOPs are a creature of ERISA, uh, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974. And so I explained to business owners that they're essentially a first cousin to a 401k plan. 90% of the rules that apply to a 401k plan are the same rules that apply to an ESOP, but there are three exceptions to the 401k rules that make an ESOP not just a retirement plan like a 401k plan, but also um, a liquidity strategy for the business owner. So those three differences are that first, an ESOP can borrow money. All of the ESOP transactions that we do are leveraged, meaning that we have financing from a bank and seller notes from the business owner. The second difference is that uh, an ESOP can engage in certain transactions with parties in interest. And in this case, the party in interest is the owner of the company and the transaction is the sale of his or her stock to the ESOP. The third difference is that an ESOP is required to invest primarily in the stock of the sponsoring company. So you put those three things together an ESOP borrows money, it uses that cash that it borrowed from the bank plus a seller note to purchase stock from the existing owner. That stock becomes an investment 
in the employee's retirement account. And that happens not immediately, but stock is allocated to participants' accounts, typically over a period of at least 20 years. Okay, so let's suppose I'm in I'm a sales rep at a manufacturing company. The manufacturing company just went through an ESOP transaction. I had a 401k with hundred thousand dollars in it and I had you know mutual funds in the 401k. Does that mean that all of my new contributions now are in employer stock? And then slowly over 20 years, my 100 k turns into employee stock? No. We almost never use money in employees' existing 401k accounts to fund the ESOP transaction. That does happen, but it's very rare. So generally, what would occur is that the company would use profits each year that it makes to pay off this debt that it's incurred to buy the owner's stock, and the 401k plan would remain the same. Now, maybe the company diverts its contribution from the 401k plan to the ESOP, but none of the assets and participants' accounts, as a general rule, are going to come out of the 401k and go into the ESOP. They're going to stay where they are. And so those people, in your example, at the manufacturing company are going to have two retirement plans. They're going to have the 401k plan where they can continue to make deferrals and they're going to have the ESOP and likely the company is going to redirect all of its company contribution to the ESOP. So if you have 100 employees, how do you determine what ownership share each of the 100 employees get? It's a pretty simple formula. It's called a salary ratio formula. And so let's assume that we have at this company two employees. Uh, The person in your example uh, makes $250,000 a year. And there is another employee at the company that makes $50,000 a year. Under the salary ratio formula, the person that makes $250,000 is going to have five times as many shares go into his or her account as the person who made fifty. So it's a salary ratio basis. And most business owners, that's the way they want it to work, right? They want their highest paid people, i.e. their most valuable people, to get the most stock. And the law operates to make that happen. And so let's suppose I retire, I'm making $250,000. Or let's suppose I change jobs. You know, I could roll over my 401k to an IRA. What can I do with my company stock? Same thing. And so, like I said earlier, about 90% of the rules that apply to the 401k plan are the same rules that apply to an ESOP. And this is one of those rules. You're going to be able to roll this money over into your new plan or into an individual retirement account. You would obviously have to sell the shares back to the company, correct? Yes. And so that's an important point. Employees almost never receive company shares from their ESOP account. Uh, that almost always is converted into an amount of cash equal to the fair market value of the shares that are in their account. That's what the employees want. They want cash to fund their retirement. And the owner of the company, the former owner, and now the people that are running the company, they don't want strangers to end up owning shares in the company. And so they buy those shares back from that terminated participant's account. How often are the shares valued? Annually. And so the shares are valued at the time of the transaction. So when the sale to the ESOP closes, 
the valuation firm that was hired by the trustee is going to issue that fairness opinion that I talked about, indicating that the trustee did not overpay. Then each year, that valuation is going to be updated. And the purpose of that updated valuation is so that the plan administration firm, the TPA for the ESOP, can report to the employees on their statements the value of their account for that year. So each participant is going to get a statement each year, just like they do in their 401k plan. And that statement is going to show the number of shares that was allocated to the account this year and the value of those shares. And it's going to show their prior account balance, the shares that were allocated, the new account balance, and their vested percentage. And the shares are always liquid. If I was to leave the company, the company will always buy it back, correct? The company has a legal obligation under Section 409H of the code to turn the stock that's into a participant's account into cash when there's a distributable event. So what do you see? um, What are the employees' responses typically when an ESOP happens? Do they feel more empowered because they're now the owners? It depends. Of course, that's always the goal. But typically, that doesn't happen immediately, to be honest with you. Typically, it takes time for employees to understand what the ESOP is, how it works, and how it benefits them. So we do an annual meeting for the employees of our clients, and we repeat the same message every year because ESOPs are complex. And so it's necessary for the employees to hear the message annually so that they start to understand it. And then usually after about four or five years, uh, someone within the company has gotten a distribution from their account. And the combination of that education plus that event where the company made good on what it said it was going to do, those two things come together. And an ESOP can have a tremendously positive impact on employee performance because employees understand that relationship between their efforts and the amount of money that they're going to have at retirement. But that takes effort. That doesn't happen automatically. So you need constant education of the employees and some time in order for that to occur. When you see a sign, like a business sign that says, so-and-so corporation, an employee-owned company, is that an ESOP or or is that a different structure? It's almost always an ESOP. So what questions um, have I not asked that that I should ask, that that I haven't thought about a piece of information about? Well, I mentioned earlier, but didn't give any detail about the tax benefits. And so tax benefits are a key consideration for business owners when they do an ESOP. So the first tax benefit is for the company. And this tax benefit applies equally, whether we're talking about a C corporation or an S corporation. That is the ability for the company to get a tax deduction for the principal payments on the loan that I mentioned that's funding this ESOP transaction. So we all know that under the law, a company gets a tax deduction for interest that it pays on the loan, but generally does not get a tax deduction for principal. In fact, the only way a company can get a tax deduction for a principal payment is by making a contribution to an ESOP because you've converted what would have been a non-deductible principal payment into a tax-deductible retirement plan contribution. So the company makes that contribution to the retirement plan 
which just like a 401k plan is a deductible expense. And then the plan uses that money to pay off the loan. So that's the first tax benefit. And that's huge. I mean, that provides a tremendous subsidy uh, for the company to pay for this transaction. Uncle Sam, through that deduction, is picking up a big part of the cost. The second tax benefit, and this only applies if we have a C corporation, does not apply to S corporations. The seller under Section 1042 of the code is able to take the proceeds from that sale and reinvest and not pay tax on the profit that he received when he sold his stock to the ESOP. So this is a section of the code that is a like kind exchange provision. So a lot of your listeners know about a like kind exchange of real estate. I take a piece of commercial real estate, I sell it, I take the cash from that, reinvest it in other commercial real estate. I don't pay tax on the first sale and I get a transferred tax basis in the property that I reinvested in. That's the same concept for ESOPs under Section 1042. What do you have to invest those proceeds in though? Uh, The stocks or bonds of a U.S. domestic operating company. And so as a practical matter, what that means is, because remember, these people that are doing this sale are usually uh, at an older age. What it means is that they're typically buying corporate fixed rate bonds, corporate floating rate notes, preferred stock, and utilities. Each of those things qualify under 1042. And when you reinvest in those, they're relatively low risk and they're generating an income that the seller is going to use to fund their retirement. So you wouldn't be able to put it into like a mutual fund or ETF. It would actually have to be in an individual share or individual bond of some kind. Correct. So you can't, things that you can't put it in, you can't put it in a mutual fund. An ETF, you can't put it into an annuity. You can't put it into municipal bonds or any type of government bond, and you can't put it into a REIT. Okay. Well, as we wind down here, tell me what what advice would you give to a business owner who is thinking about selling or, or is getting ready to sell? Well, the first thing that I would suggest is do not ask your accountant or your ESA or your attorney about ESOPs because they probably don't know much more than you do. This is such a specialty niche practice that as a general rule, most corporate lawyers and accountants don't know anything about it. So do a Google search, find an ESOP consultant, bring that ESOP consultant in to work with your lawyer and CPA, help them guide you through the process. And that's going to begin with an ESOP feasibility study. And then based on that, you'll be able to make an informed decision as to whether or not this is the right strategy. This is, this is fascinating information. And I do feel like, you know, if the demographics fit, this seems like this and the company culture fits, this is a home run strategy. I think that uh, experience is bearing that out, Ross. I think that's exactly while we're seeing this explosion in ESOP activity. Yeah, well, Kelly, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for joining me. I enjoyed it very much. You've been listening to Exit Your Business Your Way with Ross Brand. Thanks so much.
This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Paz, Guardian, or North Florida Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian and subsidiaries, agents, and employees expressly disclaim any responsibility for and do not maintain, control, recommend, or endorse third-party sites, organizations, products, or services, and make no representation as to the completeness, suitability, or quality thereof. This material is intended for general public use. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ross is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS, OSJ, 3664, Coolidge Court, Tallahassee, Florida, 32311, 850-562-9075. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC, financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. North Florida Financial is not an affiliate or a subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Arkansas Insurance License Number 16139032, California Insurance License 0L10073. 2022-142837 expires 824.